Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, hear me on radio.com and Entercom terrestrial stations as well as weekly on Fox Sports Radio. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA on any given day, and that's here. Now, apologies. It's been nearly two weeks since Buker and Friends has put out a new episode, and... Let's not look at these as excuses. Let's look at these as explanations. First of all, there's been my FS1 TV schedule. Uh, I was given the chance to host, speak for yourself. Being a host as opposed to a guest is far more intensive as far as prepping and everything else. Uh, There's also my usual co-hosts, Ryan Hollins and Will Blackman. Our schedules, we've had some difficulty over the last couple of weeks getting on the same schedule. There's some equipment issues, as in I was on the road and didn't bring the necessary equipment. And then perhaps the biggest, well, there was also my daughter uh, is in high school. She's playing on a team that made a run to the CCS championship game and then was in the NorCal State competition, went to the semifinals in that. Uh, I'll be honest, having gone to high school back in Ohio, I have yet to really figure out the California high school system, the divisions, the difference between CCS and NorCal, etc. We were in a different, we were in the open division last year, or her high school was, uh, they were in division two or four, I'm not sure. Anyway, they lost in the semis, had a chance to go to state. Very close. She's got another year. Should be fun. Anyway, all of that is why, in part, I haven't done an episode. And I thank all of you who reached out and asked where we were. Appreciate that. But probably the biggest factor is that I went to Kobe Bryant's memorial. And I've Still got somewhat of an emotional hangover from that. Uh, I wanted to do a podcast about attending it, 
But every time I started to ruminate on the event or thought about putting it into words and I actually wrote a piece for Bleacher Report. It has yet to run for reasons that I can't get into, but we hope to remedy that before too long. In any case, I didn't know if I had another piece in me. I have insights and reflections that I'd like to share, and I will before the end of this podcast. That's the other part, is I just couldn't imagine doing a podcast and not talking about that, at least in some part. So, in any event, I'm back in the saddle. I'm back in the podcast saddle, and I will share some of the things that I had the privilege of observing and took away from attending the event. But I want to start with a couple of other topics. And the first is the takeaway from seeing LeBron and Giannis Antetokounmpo go head-to-head over the weekend. Less so the Clippers-Lakers game. I've talked about that extensively on FS1. So, But the Giannis and LeBron, because it happened on Friday, we do TV on Monday, Lakers-Clippers is far more intriguing. Talked a little bit about the MVP race, but I'm more interested in... Part of it is MVP. The other part is the idea of who's a true leader uh, of, a, of a championship team. And it, I began to wonder if any superstar from another country is capable of leading an NBA team to a championship. I know there's Mavericks fans are immediately going, wait, wait a minute, there is one, Dirk Nowitzki. Now, I was there, I had a front seat to that, and I covered Dirk his entire career. He was respected, he was the team's best player and hardest worker, but he wasn't the undisputed leader, not of the team that won a championship. That was Jason Kidd and a few other guys. When it came down to the, the closeout game, and at various points in, in the finals against the Heat, there were times where Dirk wasn't up to the challenge. You could tell. The moment was a little too big for him. It was too big for him in the closeout game in the first half. The other Mavs, Jason Terry in particular, were the ones who kept them in that game. Dirk came through in the second half, but it was he put the finishing touches on something. It wasn't a comeback, but the finishing touches on something that when it when it got tough, other guys carried. I don't say anything to this say any of this to diminish Dirk, but that's the reality. Steve Nash, true leader, obviously didn't win a championship, had the uh, the grist, had the leadership, had the respect, had the mindset. But again, Canadian, went to Santa Clara. That, to me, is not the true international player. I'm talking about guys, the Drazen Petrovic's and uh, the Pau Gasol's, the Marcus Gasol's, guys who were, who were good, who were part of championship teams, but I'm talking about the guy who's the driving force. The guy I can think of that came closest is Manu Ginobili, who led Argentina past Team USA in the semifinals of the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens on the way to a gold medal for the Argentines by beating Italy. But that's a unique circumstance too because 
I don't know that he was the best player on that team. Certainly he was vying for that with Tim Duncan. And so I don't know that I can give it to him. Again, the mentality of give me the ball and I'm going to go get this done. The one guy that I think could defy this, and maybe it was Drazen Petrovic, who I did not see play, is another guy that comes to mind based on how he's been described to me. But it was also at a time he was a two-guard, and this was the Michael Jordan era, and I just don't know that Drazen might have had the mentality, I don't know that he had the ability to win a championship. I'm talking about a international superstar a superstar from a foreign country who is going to win a championship in this day and age. And I say all this because there's the, the sense that Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be the guy who gets that done, potentially this year. And I'm not so sure. Because this was the value of seeing Giannis and LeBron go head-to-head, other than the obvious where Giannis simply couldn't manufacture points for his team. Defense set against him. He couldn't get to places in the floor. He couldn't draw double teams that created easy shots, that forced the Lakers to make adjustments. Meanwhile, LeBron was doing exactly that. And some of it is as simple as the ability to operate below the free throw line and to post up and to hold your position and to work yourself down to that block. Now, LeBron still isn't great on the post. His footwork's not great. His finishing either way is not great. But he's developed a, a, a step back that he's very comfortable with, has a tremendous amount of confidence in. And he can get to a point where if you don't double him, he's just going to try to overpower his guy. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But he's not going to hesitate in getting there and getting to the rim and oftentimes if he doesn't score, anybody from the Lakers crashing the boards is going to be able to finish that. That's where Giannis simply, and I think this is, some of it is is not desire, and it's not even, some of it's footwork and fundamentals, some of it's skill, but a lot of it is simply the way that he's built. Reminds me of the same criticism for Kevin Garnett. Most people thinking of Kevin today KG, think of him in his Boston Celtics days, winning a championship, screaming, anything is possible, which to this day tickles me because KG was an Adidas guy and their slogan was, impossible is nothing. And I can't help but feel that KG was reaching for a advertisement there and just screwed it up. Nonetheless, the knock on him when he was in Minnesota for the longest time and going up against Tim Duncan is that he didn't operate in the post. He couldn't work on the block. He was a mid-range shooter. And that that handicapped the Timberwolves, which in some ways it did. The problem was KG didn't have the core strength to be able to hold his spot, not especially against a guy like Tim Duncan or Rasheed Wallace, for that matter. Uh, David Robinson faced the same criticism, and it's simply a matter of a large function of it is simply the way they were built. 
with these 32, 33, 34 inch waists. They looked like Adonis because they were long and lean and did everything they could to add as much strength as they could. They just didn't have enough junk in the trunk the way a Tim Duncan did or Charles Barkley. And so that's what I see in Giannis. Some of it is just simply he's not he's too long to be able to hold his spot down there. Kevin McHale used to tell me this that he was he was another guy could really operate in the uh, in the post. And it was because he could sit in a squat down there and be comfortable and he could work his way down there because of his just his hip strength. And I don't see that in Giannis. Uh, Anthony Davis this is an example of another guy, current day guy. And the game's not as physical today as it was. I mean, KG had no shot at doing it because you could just ride guys right out of, the, out of the post. Can't be quite as physical today, but you can be physical enough that a guy can't hold his spot. And you can bump him just enough to throw him off. There's some counters to it. Giannis still has to learn them. But because he operates largely off of that that long stride that he has, that long stride isn't always going to serve him well when it comes to, to working in the post. So we'll ultimately see whether he's able to change this narrative, whether he's able to, to, to defy what my expectation is. But there's, there is, above and beyond all that, being able to physically operate in the post. There's a mindset. There's a, an American mentality. And I would say LeBron James has it now. He didn't always have it. It's not like every American player has it and every international player doesn't. But there is an element of, for international players, they're grateful to be in the NBA. And if they happen to have a team like the Memphis Grizzlies around Pau Gasol or Marc Gasol, or the Dallas Mavericks around Dirk Nowitzki. There is a gratitude that they're a foreign player and an NBA team is not only making them a star, but is building their franchise around them. Because keep in mind where these guys come from, they were dreaming of playing in the NBA, not being stars in the NBA, simply playing in the NBA. Now there's one guy who I see potentially changing this whole narrative, and it's not Giannis. It's Luka Doncic. And I can't help but wonder if it's because we're in a generation now where we have had the Dirk Nowitzkis, and we have had a, even a Giannis Antetokounmpo as, a, as an MVP, but really setting the tone is, is Dirk, and maybe Manu as a, as a champion, that... Doncic and other young guys over in Europe grew up believing I can not only be in the NBA, but I can be the star of an NBA team. And that they've grown up with that mentality, and so they, they look at this in an entirely different way. All I can tell you is that when I watch Doncic, I see a guy who's not simply unafraid to take the big shots, but he wants to go right at you, and he wants to embarrass might be a little strong, but he wants to show, he wants to get in his bag. 
He wants to show you his tricks. He wants to show that you can't guard him in a way that is, LeBron, I think, recognized it when they played. Other guys have. There's just a, a, a ruthlessness. Like, not only uh, am I willing to take this shot, but I have to take this shot. I want to take this shot. It's important for me, and it's important to, to me that you know, my opponent, that I'm better than you are. And you're not going to beat me. I'm going to take you. And I'm going to take you. It doesn't matter whether you make the shot or not. It's like, you cannot stop me. Luca has that already. And there's just this, this extra, extra hunger to show that. Dirk grew into that. Be perfectly honest, LeBron grew into that. And I know that I'm sort of mixing the, the conversation here. But because LeBron is so closely tied to Giannis, what we saw the other night is that LeBron, even as a guy who wants to be the playmaker first as opposed to the scorer, has so much confidence at this point that he can get wherever he needs to that he will do either one. There's nobody that he's intimidated by. Certainly not by Giannis. Even as Giannis did a nice job on him in the All-Star game. That was fun to watch. But that was the All-Star game. And LeBron clearly came back with something to prove. Like, dude, you stopped me there. You can't stop me. And, and he couldn't. And at the same time, wasn't just LeBron stopping Giannis but it was Giannis not being able to do enough. And you saw it with Kawhi Leonard against LeBron on Sunday. Kawhi, Kawhi can get where he wants to go on LeBron. Maybe not every time when Kawhi's a little predictable, LeBron can stop him. But when Kawhi picks his spots, he can get by him. The guys aren't afraid to go at LeBron James. I hope that doesn't come as a shock to anybody. Defensively, you can take advantage of him. And offensively, we got into this conversation in FS1, and, and Marcellus Wiley made a good point about how that what LeBron does, it, has, it was stemmed from comments by Patrick Beverly about the LeBron not being hard to stop, no challenge. That's obviously not true, and Pat, Patrick Beverly is the last one that should be making that statement particularly the way he played on Sunday. But it's not complicated. LeBron doesn't have, in his, doesn't have the same bag of tricks that even Luka Doncic has at this point. LeBron's going to try to overpower you. He's not going to shake you with some... He's, he's, he's going to go by you. He's going to overpower you. But he's, he's well, I was watching the other night with Doncic, and Doncic, change of direction, head fake. Like he just, he had the guy, he had his defender leaning the wrong way like three times on the same possession. LeBron has never done that. LeBron will never do that. So that's what Patrick Beverly meant. And there's truth to that. It's not, there's not, there's not a whole lot of trickery to LeBron's game. He's 6'8", 270, probably 6'9", 275. As quick as any or as fast as anybody in the league. Like He's just going to overwhelm you. And he's 
sees the floor well enough and he understands spacing and now that he's he's feeling confident with that that fade he has enough in his bag to be able to to get things done there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Giannis simply does not. And there's also, if you watch the way the two respective teams respond to their particular superstars... You can sense the difference. The Lakers are confident that LeBron's going to figure something out. They may have to be ready to take the shot, but they know that LeBron's going to get them a good one. You do not get the same level of confidence from the Bucks with Giannis. They like him. They appreciate him. He's a good dude. But there's no like, oh, our guy is going to beat your guy. Or he's going to give me a wide open look. I mean, we saw Chris Middleton having to try to get his own against the Lakers Friday night. Not hit an open shot created by Giannis. Literally put the ball in his hands and see what he can get done. People have not given Chris Middleton for being credit for being that kind of player. I don't know that he is, but I don't know that the Bucks had a choice because Giannis simply wasn't able to get anything done. The Lakers did a great job of getting back. On, on defense, transition, in transition, and not allowing Giannis to get downhill or for them to get e- any easy buckets that way. That's, that's when they're rolling. That's when they're feeling good. That's when Giannis is feeling good. In the open court, good Lord, forget it. He, he may be harder to stop than LeBron at this point in the open, in the open floor. And I don't know that we'd say that about anybody. In any case... That, to me, is the more interesting aspect. If we're going big picture, we're going beyond the MVP race this year. It really is, are we going to see an international player become the undisputed leader and star and go-to guy of a team that wins a championship? And who will it be first? Will it be Giannis? Or will it be Doncic? Or... Door number three. All right, a couple of the other things I wanted to get to. Uh, one of them is the value of being in the locker room for sports writers. And I, this comes up because of the coronavirus and the release from all of the major sports leagues, soccer, baseball, basketball. I believe football was on there too. Uh, college basketball, in any event, uh, any non-essential personnel and media are now not going to be allowed in the locker room for the foreseeable future and will be kept six to eight feet. I believe this may be just the NBA. Kept six to eight feet from uh, players uh, in interview set and situations. And there are a number of people who are like, yeah, it's kind of stupid that you have sports writers and people in the in the locker room anyway it's a weird setup and even some sports writers uh, who were suggesting that it was 
something that uh, no longer needs to happen. And uh, this is what I struggle with because in this day and age, I can see why people would say that. There are, in my opinion, the problem has become that being a credentialed sports writer or a member of the media is easier than ever. It used to be, and this is where you know the, the people criticizing and looking negatively at mainstream media, this is where this is what's missing, is it used to be that you had to go through a variety of checks and balances. There were institutions and there were rules and not just anybody became a reporter. You spent years preparing to become a reporter and you had an organization behind you that, well, behind you and over you that made sur certain that you understood the rules, that you followed the rules, that there were rules of decorum and engagement on the record, off the record. All of that has gone by the boards. Some of it is, by, is because of social media and the ease with which anybody can report anything and it can be t consumed as news. But the other part is that you simply have people that are now uh, covering sports that are in the locker room that are operating off of whatever whatever goes goes and you know people getting personal uh, messages done you get I mean it's, it's across the board there's all sorts of things that were that were considered unethical previously that are now, considered acceptable, including people who are just hanging out to watch to make sure that somebody else doesn't get something that they don't have. See, the value for me when I started in this business and being in the locker room is that you could go and talk to players and you could have off-the-record conversations about meaningful things, whether it was basketball or whether it was what's going on in their lives or just making a connection, making a human connection with them so that it wasn't always just asking tough questions. It, was, it wasn't always just post-interview type stuff. There was a relationship that was built and a certain degree of trust and understanding and being seen as a person and seeing a player as a person changed the terms of engagement. You, you weren't cavalier about your criticism. And you made sure that you showed up the next day if you did write something critical so that that person would have the opportunity to say, hey, I didn't think this is what I thought about that. And you wrote with that in mind. Now, it's, there is none of that. And by closing the locker room, you're only creating more of a separation between the players and the media. And for fans, you should understand that's creating more of a separation from the players and the teams and you. Because we are, or at least should be, your eyes and ears. And going back to the Hamilton line of, you know, I want to be in the room where it happens. Like you may not be able, I, I, I couldn't always or didn't always write and report everything that I saw and heard. Would some of it be 
titillating and interesting and all that, yeah. But I would weigh it against the value of having access, ongoing access to the players and the coaches. Because my first objective, my first responsibility was to make sure that you were getting an honest view of the team or the athlete or the organization that I covered. And whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whether it's in entertainment, there is a give and take there in terms of if I'm just covering everything that's dirty laundry, it may get a lot of attention and clicks, but it also breaks down the trust because here's the truth of it. You could go into anybody's family, and if you reported what went on in that particular family, everything said and done, you could make that family look pretty bad. And it wouldn't necessarily be a bad family. It would simply be there's certain things that aren't meant to be consumed publicly or are perceived different when they're put in the naked public eye. And the same goes for, for teams and players and locker rooms. And that is lost. And as a result, we move farther and farther away from really understanding and having a connection and having insight into these teams and how they operate. It was a long time ago where when I first actually when I first started covering the league, you could there were a number of teams, and the Warriors were one of them, where we got to see a good deal of practice. Maybe not every practice, maybe not all practice, but it wasn't just shooting free throws at the end. It wasn't the obligatory where the league, I mean, the league has stead, steadily but, but clearly reduced the access. And that's what I fear with this latest step is that we're out of the locker room and we're not getting back in. There will be a reason to find why let's go to a different model. They've already been introducing it in various places at the All-Star Game where they have the mixed zone. They bring players in. Everybody circles around the table. You ask the, I mean, if you're working on an individual story, if you're working on anything unique, you can find ways to get a question or two answered. Uh, because I have my long standing in the league, I'm allowed to walk with players as they leave the interview area. Other guys have this same sort of access. And you get an opportunity to ask a couple questions as a guy is walking toward his family. But still, it's a very, and I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, but it's a very limited access to ask something above and beyond the banal post-game reaction questions. And as a result, all it is, is is an examination of wins and losses. It's very hard to dig into the personal side and to see these players as more than humans and for them to see the media as more than judge and jury or prosecution when it comes to post-game, post-event questions, or even pre-game. It just, it's all the same, and it all becomes surface. And then you just need a couple of dumb questions, and it becomes like, why am I doing this? So that is what we're losing. I understand the, the, the concern about the coronavirus. If I didn't feel like we've been steadfastly moving in this direction 
of less and less access. Less and, it's not just the access, it's the opportunity to build relationships. And honestly, for any, any writer, reporter, I, I don't know Deb Sopan. I, that's the one tweet that I saw that sort of defended this idea. And a colleague at Bleacher Report, Howard Beck, snarkily, as Howard is known to do, said uh, his, his tweeted response was, you've covered sports for five minutes. But there's a truth in that. If you don't understand what the value is of being able to access the locker room, then you've never really covered a team in a meaningful way. And maybe that's just this generation hasn't had that opportunity. It's naivete. But if, if you're naive, if you haven't talked to anybody, then I would, wouldn't be quick to suggest that new policy is there's, there's a reason for it or there's no reason for it if you haven't been around to see why it had value. All right. So last part, and that's getting into the Kobe Bryant Memorial thing that's been it's made me reluctant to do this podcast. Uh, look, I I went down, I flew down the night before. I got a hotel downtown LA because I knew it was going to be crazy. Local authorities had been warning fans, if you didn't have a, a ticket, if you weren't one of the 20,000 out of the 80,000 who were uh, granted a ticket and access that to stay home and, and watch it on TV. And I knew that, 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 you know, there would be some belligerent Kobe fans who almost saw that as a challenge. And I saw one tweet, it's public property. You can't tell us what to do or how to, you know, basically how to mourn our fallen hero. And I'll be honest, I might've been the same. I might've been the same way. I, I call it a, a character flaw of mine. I, I struggle when people just tell me, not to do something, um, you can or you can't do this, or you shouldn't do this, or whatever. When when I have an emotional connection to to something, and they're just giving me this this flat rule. Anyway, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna do a psychoanalysis of myself right now. We can get to that later. You guys can do it as you do on Twitter or on social media. Uh, in any event, it was so. I walked down from my hotel. It's about a 15-minute walk. And I first of all, I'm passing like these rows of T-shirts made with Kobe and Gianna and just a variety. The variety, I, I must have seen at least 40 different T-shirts with different artwork, different images, different messages of Kobe and Gianna various ways memorializing him. And I don't know, I, I guess I, I when I think about it, you know, they had weeks to create them and produce them and print them and get them out, but it just, it struck me how how many there were and and how many people were, were, were buying them and shopping for them. And, uh, and then, I passed one guy, he was in a full uh, Kobe Bryant yellow uniform, and he had the kind of crutches that um, people use for, they're not the regular crutches, uh, I, don't, I forget what you call them, but they have like the little arm cuffs on them, 
And so I stopped him and I, I asked him, you know, are you, are you going or are we from? And it turned out he was from Germany and he was there with his girlfriend and he had been there for Kobe's last game. He'd been there for his uh, retirement ceremony and he wasn't one of the 20,000 selected, but he had flown for like 24 hours, making all kinds of connections to get there just to be there, just to be close. And then as I was just going into the building, uh, there was a guy who recognized, from, recognized me from TV, and, and I was asking him, and he'd named his son Bryant, and he wanted to name his daughter Kobe so that any time he called his kids, he would be saying Kobe Bryant. And he talked about Kobe in such a personal way, what he meant to him. Now his wife went out and his daughter was named Brooklyn, not Kobe. But it underscored just how intensely devoted Kobe fans were to their guy, how much they felt close to him and how much he meant to them. I, I spent a lot of time around him. It's, it's kind of amazing. I, as much time as I got to spend with him one-on-one, -on -one, the people that I saw and met and talked to at the memorial gave me the impression like they felt they knew him better than anybody. In fact, one guy even suggested like, you know, as much as as much as Vanessa might be missing him, you know, I was like, don't, please don't say that. Please don't say that you miss him more because, but that, look, can't deny, he, he felt that way. And so that was going to the memorial and being in a building, in an arena, surrounded by 20,000 people who felt that way. It was, I, I forgot that I was in an arena. It felt so intimate in that everybody was respectful and you just, you felt this energy, this collective energy, this connected energy among everybody that was there. And I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because as I said, I wrote something for Bleacher Report. I'm still hoping that it's going to come out. A lot of my thoughts and feelings about the memorial are in that piece and for the sake of not uh, undercutting one of my employers I'll I'll leave it at that for now and if there's reason for me to come back and share more about what I learned and I saw then I will indeed do that in the next podcast but let's leave it there so that does it for, finally, another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. Uh, this is what I'm going to do because they provided t-shirts to everyone, uh, a Kobe and Gianna t-shirt for everyone who attended the event. And for the next 50 people that rate and leave a review of the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Screenshot that and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible 
to win that t-shirt. I think it's an L. I'm sorry, I only have one size. I don't know that you're going to wear it anyway. Um, I would probably keep it as a, as a memento. But I just feel like there are fans out there. I'm not going to wear it. But And so I just feel like there's a chance for it to mean something more to somebody out there than it would for me folded up in my closet. So we're going ha- we're gonna, to we're gonna give that out as a prize to one of the next 50 people who review, uh, rate and review the show. Uh, in the meantime, I will be joined. I have, I have a couple guests coming up that you're going to like. I don't know if I'm going to have one of those guests on or whether I'll be joined by Ryan or Will in the next podcast. But we will get back to a regular routine. At some point, we're going to go only once a week. But we have a couple of sponsorships coming up where we will be maintaining the three times a week schedule that we've had in the past. So all of that to say, there's another podcast coming. It won't take as long as it took to create this one, but exactly when the next one is coming, stay tuned. All right. In the meantime, as always, and I do mean this sincerely, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.